If you would, please, I hope you have your Bibles already with you. And if you'd open up to the book of Exodus, chapter 16, where we left off uh, last, last week. Ch- uh, Exodus chapter 16. And today we'll see the, uh, the, the message is the bread from heaven. And you will see as we worshiped our Lord in truth and in spirit this, this moment, this last uh, opening we will continue to worship God in our time of studying of his word and realize uh, he is our bread, uh, bread of life, the bread of God that is given, given to us. And, and you will see that linkage here in the scriptures as we continue uh, in the study of Exodus. Now we've journeyed from campsite to campsite to campsite, starting there in Egypt in Ramses, And God had brought his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, starting there in the concentration of where they were living in Goshen, the land of Goshen, the Ramses, and moved them to the next site and moving them out, as you remember, uh, freeing them and setting them free from the bondage of the grip of uh, the government from uh, Egypt. And went from Ramses to Succoth, and to Etham, which was right there at the edge of the wilderness. From there, they moved. Uh, God moved them to the Red Sea. Again, God is guiding them this whole time by the, by the cloud, that pillar of cloud that was just moving. And as they, God moved, the people moved, and they followed God uh, day by day from campsite to campsite. But they found themselves at the Red Sea and thought they were free. And then you remember... Pharaoh and his army come, his heart was hardened and still continued to flee or pursue, I should say, the people of Israel. And they were backed up against the Red Sea, but God miraculously parted the Red Sea. And they left uh, that time on the other side of the Red Sea in a moment where they just see the bodies floating there in the seashore of the Red Sea. And God moved them quickly over to Mara. Tomorrow to a place where they said, okay, finally God has set us free from our, our bondage, set us free from the enemy pursuing us, and we must be all going to be great now in our life. And God led them to a place called Mara, or what we refer to as the bitter water. And if you remember Moses crying out and God saying, see a tree, see the tree, put the tree in the water, and it made it sweet, sweet to taste and sweet to partake of, and it refreshed them. But from there, God moved them on to Elim, to the oasis. And now they went from this, this bitterness moment into now as they pursue uh, through the wilderness, they bring them to an oasis of, of the campsite of Elim. And there they are just blessed by the 12 wells of water, the 70 palm trees, and they're providing just a place. And you're like, wow, can we just stay right here? This, this, this oasis moment, can we just stay right here? But no, God continued now as we see here to a place called the wilderness of sin. Now for you to go back today, I would encourage you to read Numbers chapter 33 for all the details, uh, review of all the campsites that they are going to be stopping at all the way from uh, Egypt all the way into hitting the land of Canaan and that are not mentioned here in Exodus. There in Numbers 33, all the details are mentioned there. 
Now, if you remember last week in chapter 15, there was a song that was sung, and it was the very first time we saw this a song sung, or a glorious song of God's deliverance after witnessing God's protection and final deliverance of the enemy, Pharaoh and his army. And how important it was that we learned last week that we, we sing the singing of, uh, to our Lord is such an important part of our Christian walk. That we should have a song in our hearts each and every day singing and worshiping our God in song. Singing in truth, uh, in spirit and in truth. Because it's so important to help. God allows us to be able to sing to him to express what we're thinking, what we're feeling about our Savior, about our Lord. And how important it is to express that praise to God and such a witness even to others who hear us worshiping our God and that we have a song in our heart. But how important it is, as we learned, that the song come from the Holy Spirit within us that is bubbling up or springing up this new life of just uh, worshiping based on scriptural truth. That we're singing spiritual truth. The truth that we sing to our Lord is to Him and not to anybody else or even to ourselves. But to sing to our Lord and we sing to Him and in spirit and truth. And how important that is as we do that. Then like many still today. After we've had this oasis experience, as we are song and we're just worshiping and singing the truth of God, God's truth of who He is and what He has done for us, and it's still true today how quickly we forget that the, what the right hand and the power of the right hand of God has done for us in the past, and when things change, circumstances change, time has changed, we find ourselves going right back and not worshiping and forgetting to what God had already brought us through uh, that caused us to worship him in the first place. Now here in chapter 16, we, we see God moves his people to the next campsite, the wilderness of sin here in Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. And they journeyed. They continued their journey from Elam. And all of the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. Now the wilderness of sin, the reason why it's called that way, the word sin is, is more the fact that it's an acronym of the Sinai. Now how they make that, that's, we'll just let, leave it there. But this was called the wilderness of sin we see in the scripture, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day, on the second month, after they departed from the land of Egypt. So we see here, it's marks at this moment in time, one month since they left Egypt that God said, okay, Follow this cloud, follow me, and has brought them now over a month. And so much has been going on here during this month. And they left on the 15th of that previous month. And if you remember, that previous month and started the, of the religious calendar being April that they left. So there was April 15th. Now it's now May 15th. Things have, have, have moving on. And they come out of this Elam, this oasis, this time of rest and comfort that God had provided for them, this wonderful experience. Now they're heading towards Sinai, and it's a place where they're going to be meeting God and receiving his law at that place, as you know. And here they are at this campsite. And in verse 2, then the whole congregation, now remember, it's 2 million plus people here, the whole congregation of children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Now, 
Can you imagine a whole congregation complaining and murmuring of the situation they find themselves in? Now, it's one thing to have a, a few people in your family. It's one thing about having a few people in your fellowship they're having. But to have two million people complaining to you? <laughs> Can you imagine the weight that Moses and Aaron must have been feeling from all of this going on? And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the, the land of Egypt. Now, they're flashing back here of a moment, if you catch this. Oh, it would have been better if, you know, at the point of Passover, when, when the, the Egyptians were dying, we should have just died there, because now this is really bad. Oh, how dramatic. <laughs> How dramatic these two million people are getting over the, the fear, as we'll see, is just fear that is setting in and of the unknown. And so we see here that they, they, were, they were afraid that they were, had died at the, by the hand of the Lord of the, in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger so you can see that they're not only sitting there going man we should have just died in egypt and then they said oh how great the pot of food was oh the food was so much better oh we're hungry and when you get hungry you always think about how great it is of what you had the last meal that you had thinking you're never going to get another meal now, some people say, well, they were hungry. They've been journeying, journeying for a month now. But remember, they haven't got to a point of starvation here. They haven't used up all of the resources that God had made sure that was in their hands, all their livestock and all their food and all this stuff. They started just sensing that they've been journeying now in the wilderness, and it's really dry out here, and there's not a whole lot of life out here. They started almost thinking, these Jews started thinking like they're unbelieving, unsaved Gentiles. That they don't have a God on their side. That God is guiding them and God has provided for them and God is going to take them to the promises that God said he was going to do to the, the land of Canaan where it, it, it was flowing with milk and honey. They for completely forget about the promises that God has been giving them. Instead, they're complaining like unsaved Gentiles, and they were anticipating. They weren't starving. They were anticipating something they haven't any, weren't even experiencing at that point in time. But that's what fear does. When change is happening and you can't see because you live by sight and not by faith in what the promises and trusting of the promises of God has given you, you will turn to fear and it will become very overwhelming for you to see and to hear what is going on around you. You're feeling fine and you're just going along through this wilderness experience of unknown and all of a sudden you hear your neighbors to the left or to the right or someone in the back, oh, I'm hungry. And then all of a sudden you're hungry. It's today. You're feeling fine. You're feeling great. And all of a sudden you read something, you watch something, you see it on someone, or you know someone of someone, someone of someone who, oh, they must have gotten the virus. And all of a sudden you start feeling, oh, I don't feel very well today. <laughs> you know, you just all of a sudden you can take on this fear like you're going to get the virus too. So it's, we understand the human nature here. They all thought they were going to starve and it was so much better back in Egypt when they had pots of meat, man. This was great. And bread to the full. We never had enough panera here. 
And then you see something else that happens when people start complaining. One is they get very drama. Two, they, they think their previous life was always better than the situation they find themselves in. They forgot that they were killing their babies. They wanted to keep them in slavery. They were beating them to death to make them work. They forgot all of that. All they could remember is the food. Their appetite was for the world. The appetite was for the food that they had in the world called Egypt. And then it gets worse here at the end of verse 3. And for you brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Like Moses and Aaron really wanted to take you all, two million plus, come out here to kill you by hunger? I mean, really? Is that really what you really think is what their motive was? Oh, how quickly they took their eyes off of God and realized it wasn't Moses and Aaron leading him into the wilderness. It was God. God is the one that was leading him out into the wilderness here for a plan and for a purpose that God had. But their problem was that their mind was still set on the old past of the world, the old appetite of the, of the past versus enjoying and learning to enjoy the new food, the new life that God had for them and the promises of that life in the future. But that's what happens when you get focused in on the fear of the unknown and living by sight and not living by faith. Verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. So God is saying, the reason why I'm doing this is because I want to test my people. Will they continue to walk by faith or will they continue to walk by sight? Will, it will they trust me or will they be trusting their belly? Will they trust what I'm going to provide and guide them to do? Or are they thinking they're in control and now they're feeling out of control in the middle of the desert? They have no resources except what God has provided them. And it's not what they used to, and they're not used to. But he gives them two laws here. First is, he says, I'm going to cause you, to, I'm going to rain down bread. That's amazing, first of all, that God is going to rain bread down on them so that they have it for them. But they see that he says, I'm going to have, give them the bread and they're going to go out and they're going to have to, by faith, each day, trust God's provision for them for each day. They're going to go out and collect their quota each day and they're going to have to do it day by day. Trusting God, it's a walk, a day-by-day walk. We're gonna have to, they're going to learn to trust me day-by-day for their provision. Oh, how quickly it is as our, as our human nature is. Let's store up as much as we can for the future that we think we're going to have. We don't have a promise for tomorrow, but we certainly will go and do whatever it takes to store up for 10 to 20, 30, 40 years in our storehouses of banks and everything else so that we can guarantee that we're in control of what's going to happen and that we have money. Now, I don't say we're not supposed to be good stewards. We're supposed to do every day what God has called us to do. We're just be live content lives. We're supposed to live a simple content life. We're to, to be good stewards of what God has given unto us 
each day. So the first test was, will you go out and collect each day, trusting each day that there would be provision for them? Will you trust me? That's what God's testing them to see. The second test is, don't expect to see any bread on the seventh day because I'm going to give you a double portion on the sixth day. So you're going to get double the portion that you, so you can rest, as we will see, on the Sabbath, the seventh day, and there will be no food there. Will you trust me that there will be no food there? That there will be enough food on the sixth day that you don't need to collect it on the seventh. But when you sit there and people into the, the complaining mode, when you start realizing you're into your, in your own head complaining, and you're coming and walking along other people who are complaining and murmuring and complaining of the situation that they find themselves in, that you would lose sight of what God is providing as a resource for our existence. And sometimes God provides for us in a very familiar, simple ways. Very familiar to us. Sometimes, but sometimes unexpectedly, He provides for us. When we don't see a way, He makes a way. And He provides for us. Because He is faithful and He will not change. Our God is faithful. But here, this complaining Israel people called the, this bread from heaven here, as we will see in, in verse 31, manna. But God always, as we will see through the scriptures, God refers to this, this beautiful bread that's raining down from heaven, this bread from heaven coming down. We will see that God mostly calls it bread from, uh, bread from heaven. But we'll see that in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 15, Psalm 78, 24, and Psalm 105, 40. But the one my favorite is actually seen for the name of, of the manna is seen in Psalm 78, 25, where it's referred to as angel's food. And I love the angel food cake. You know, it's, not a, it's a good thing, especially in summer coming. That's a, even, even a better time to have it. But God promised to send bread from heaven. And when he says he will send, his yes is his yes. <laughs> and it will come, regardless if you don't know how it's all figuring out how it's going to happen. And the unexpected way is it came raining down uh, on them each and every day. In verse 6, then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. God is going to reveal his power to them and remind them that he is in control. And it's unbelievable how he's going to, uh, how he's going to provide for them. And then in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? Also Moses said, this, is, this shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. So Moses is trying to get these people to kind of rethink the, what they're thinking. Because they've lost their minds. They've just really gone drama here. And they're not... They talk take, when they get into that moment and that that fear and that drama, they lose sight of who God is and what He's going to do. 
And as a good leader, he's pointing them back to God. He's not saying, okay, okay, hold on to me, man. Hold on, I'll, I'll help you. I'll take you through. No, he's, Moses is bringing their eyes back to who is really in control, and Moses knows that. And he said, you're going to see God reveal himself once again here to you. You're going to see his glory because he hears your complaints. Now, that's a, that should be shocking you. When you and I complain and murmur and complain of our situations we have, we're not complaining to the government. We're not complaining to our leaders of our government or complaining to the right or left of our families or anybody else or the head of the church. What we're really complaining about is you're complaining against God. As believers, you do not complain and murmur against anyone. You're literally complaining and murmuring against God. Why? Because when you became a child of God, God is in control and you're complaining that he is not in control or he's not doing what you want to do. And so Moses is reminding the people. The scripture is reminding us as believers when we murmur and complain about our situations, our circumstance that we find ourselves in today, we're literally complaining against God. Not about you. That is a very sobering moment here of reading the scriptures and reminding myself, and I hope it's reminding you by the power of the Spirit of God touching you, we need to stop murmuring and complaining about our situations. We need to praise Him and honor Him and glorify Him because He is our Father is going to provide and is going to guide our lives, even through the situation we find ourselves in. And so they, Moses is bringing them back full circle here to take your eyes off of me as your leader because I'm not in control here. God is the one that brought us out here. God is the one that's providing. God is the one that's guiding. God is the one that's going to take us to the promised land. And so he says, your complaints is against him. We're just instruments being used by God here. We're not God. We don't get worshipped as God, as pastors, as, as whatever religious title that you've taken upon yourself. You're not God, and people are to follow the God, the God, our Lord and, 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 and uh, Savior, Jesus Christ. That is who we are to put our trust in completely. And that's where we should take all things, because God is going to reveal his glory through his mercy and goodness toward his people. Now, we see here in Exodus chapter 16, verse 9, Then Moses spoke to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Whoa, that must have been an incredible, incredible view. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Now, it's, it, it, as you ponder on these verses here, he reveals himself, God reveals himself to the entire congregation in the cloud. And then we see in the scripture here that the Lord spoke to Moses. Well, Moses already knew what he was about to tell him. So you almost kind of look at that and say, God has got their attention. 
He's speaking to the, the leader that God has appointed over the congregation. And he's revealing to Moses already. Moses already knows what's going on here. He already knows what God has already told him. But he must have revealed somehow, some way, he spoke to the people directly uh, as well. You kind of have to you kind of grasp this here as we take a look because Moses already knew that the fact that the complaints were against God and, and, and not to him directly. He wasn't personalizing as a leader of the congregation. So I kind of kind of leaned toward that somehow God appeared in the cloud and revealed and spoke to, as he was speaking to Moses, was speaking to the people and made it clear that you shall know that I am the Lord your God, Lord your God because I am going to provide you not only meat at night at the twilight, but I'm going to give you enough bread to fill you up in the morning. So you're not going to go hungry. You're not going to starve. You're not going to die in the situation here in the wilderness you find yourself in. Everything is going to be just fine. In verse 13, so it was that the quails came at evening and covered the camp. And in the morning, the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So here God miraculously brings about and he takes the natural moment. Right? Something that is happening, the quail, we know historically, we know presently, there was time that these, these small quails would come up from uh, Sinai, from the peninsula, from Africa area, coming across the Red Sea, and they would be exhausted by the time they hit the wilderness, and they've known that these quails would then settle, and they'd be so weak they could not take off during uh, when they came in after that flight, all day flight. And at nighttime, there's all this quail. So God just guided the quail miraculously to the people so the two million people could then collect these small little quails to be able to have meat. Amazing. But then we see that it, it would continue here by God's grace and God's provision. Because remember, these people were complaining. God didn't say, stop your complaining and then I'll give you some food. Correct your behavior, then I'm going to do... No, he, 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 God is faithful to do what he says he's going to do. He didn't ask him to stop complaining. He realized once he reveals himself and the power of God, his right hand, and providing that the complaints would go away. Because they would see God and they would put their eyes back on God, complaints go away. Once we start murmuring and complaining, that means your eyes are off of God. Did you know that? Once you start complaining and murmuring, your mind is on the people or on the situation, circumstances, and not on God. It's a good indication for us that once we start complaining, we need to get back into the Word of God. We need to put our minds back on it. We need to start worshiping our God, who is a God who's our provider. And so we take a look at this, that this, this quail was provided, but then at nighttime when God brought down the rain, the dew was settled on the surface of the wilderness, that when the, the dew lifted, what was left were these small round substance, very fine, as frost on the ground. It's very delicate. But the bread from heaven came with the dew each day. It was daily provided for by God. 
and has some kind of residue that was, but it's small, it's round, it's fine, it's frosty, as small as frost on the ground, and not easy to gather. Now we know in later on here in verse 31 of 16, that the bread of, from heaven is like coriander seed. It was a small kind of like a sesame seed that was left over and it was sweet like honey we see in, uh, noted as well. In Numbers 11.7, the color was bidelum or a, a, like a pearl-like color and we know that in Exodus 23, they eventually took that, that, those, that, that, that substance, that, 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 that manna, that those seeds, and they baked it and they uh, boiled it. So they did it and prepared it in different ways for them to eat and partake of it. And of course, that would make sense because God's going to provide for them daily this manna for 40 years while in the wilderness. Now in Numbers ch uh, chapter 11, verse 8, it says that they, used to, they took and ground it uh, in, on millstones and beat it into the, into the mortar and cooked it in the pans and make cakes of it and taste, again, like a taste of pastry prepared with oil. It was a sweet and it was a pastry. Ooh, doesn't that sound great? It just, that, the, he's talking my language, you know. God really is talking my language here. So, and it's probably, he'll, he'll talk to you as well. He'll provide what is sweet, as we will see as we continue here. But the purpose for giving the bread from heaven was not only to provide certainly for the material needs of the people. But it was also to teach them these external lessons of dependency on God. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, Oh, so he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know or did not, or, or nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. That is the true bread that we partake of daily. When God puts us in a place of need, he wants to do more than just meet that need for you. He wants to teach us external lessons so that it will learn of the faithfulness and the reliability and the strength and the power and the all-presence, all-knowing, all-powerful God that we serve and we trust our lives with completely. So feeding Israel through this bread from heaven was just an example of God's way of, of just bringing to light to the people there in the, in the wilderness that God is going to show up and do his part. He is going to rain down the, the bread. He's going to provide and make sure the quail is there for you. But he doesn't do everything there. He provides it to you. The people still had their part. They still had to go get that quail, and they still had to go out daily by faith and collect the bread every morning, as we will see. They had to go collect it, and they had to go do that work and to partake of that, of what God has provided. Verse 15, so when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? What is it? For they did not know what it is, what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. 
This is exactly what I was just saying and what God said he was going to provide. You walk out and you can imagine they're coming out of the tents and they're like, what is it? What? What? What, what could it be? And we can see that was the name that was given to this beautiful bread from heaven, manna. What is it? Because their fathers, forefathers never happened to them. They have never experienced before. They never even heard of it because this was something new that God was doing to provide for the people. God provided for them. Initially, they did not recognize God's provision coming. Sometimes when God provides things and you can't understand it and you can't rationalize it, you don't see the fact that it could be from God. And so you say, what is it? What is going on here? What is happening here? Because it's beyond your own understanding. But God provided a Savior. God provided His Son, the Messiah. And the people did not expect the Savior to come as a baby. When God said he was going to provide bread, they didn't expect that this was going to be these, this, this, these fine little sesame seed kind of looking stuff on the ground every day. They weren't provide, didn't expect that from how God was going to give them bread. It was outside their mindset. Because they were leaning on their own understanding. Instead of in all their ways acknowledging him and letting him direct their paths. But just like the Israelites here in the wilderness, God sent his only begotten son. And he came as a form as a baby. No one was expecting the Messiah to come as a baby. And here we see God provided the bread from heaven to eat for the people. And God provided his son for his people. We see in John 6, verse 30 and 31, the manna is a picture of Jesus Christ. The true bread from heaven. And manna gives us a twofold picture. And we see it in the scriptures. First is John 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and, he, and we beheld his glory and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the very first, the manna is a, the, is a picture of, a, of, the living, of the living word, Christ. The manna is... The living word that we partake of. We partake of Christ. The next one is John chapter 6 verse 48. I am the bread of life. It is the written word. We partake of Jesus Christ. A personal relationship. We take of his word. We take him in and we hear from him. We see from him. We are taught by him. We are instructed by him. We are guided by him. We are changed by him. We are nourished by him. So we see that the feeding on the manna is a picture of a daily intake of Christ through the word of God, just as the manna was to be partaken of daily for their nourishment and for their health by God. Verse 16, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather according to each one's needs. One Omer for each person according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. So God always gives some of these instructions. It's beautiful and it's very specific. Why? Because again, he gives instructions. He gives guidance by his word so that we will see if we're going to be obedient to what he's commanded us to do. 
Will you go out and will you be obedient and collect your manna each day? Will you go on the sixth day and will you receive the double portion and then not go out on the seventh day as God said so? But here in verse 16, he gives specifics that you're going to go out and collect one omer. And and again, scholars have all kinds of numbers floating out there. And again, I don't know because the scripture doesn't really say specifically what it is. Some say it's somewhere between six pints that are collecting per person. Or seven quarts per per person. You'll hear something of even larger amount or shorter amount. At this point, it was a good amount. Why? Because it was a perfect amount because that's what God said to pick up. That's, I'm good with that. I don't need to know if it's six pints or seven quarts. It was a substance enough to feed them for the day and for the last them through, through the whole day there, but not the next day. Just enough for that day, except for the sixth day. But they're supposed to go out there. They couldn't hire someone else to do it. They couldn't rely on Moses and Aaron to do this God said it's a personal, you have to do it, and then you, if you're going to do it for a family member in your family, you are to help within that family, and you're to go out and collect one Omar per uh, per person, according to the number of persons, and let every man take for those who are in his tent. Then, verse 17, the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. Interesting. So when they measured it by omers, as they made sure they got their omers per person here, he who gathered much had nothing left over. And he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning. So they're going out and you get a bunch of people who go, oh, I got a lot, you know. Young man, I'm hungry. I'm going to get as much as I can get, can hold more. And there's frail little grandma going out there potentially and grabbing hers, and she barely can get that enough to hold on to bring in. But once they all leveled it all out, everyone had to meet their needs. They met that Omer uh, measurement to meet the need as God said. But one of the stipulations, notice in verse 19, they were not to leave anything till tomorrow. You must trust God. He says, you must be obedient to me. You must eat it all that you've collected today, the one Omer. Don't let it leave until tomorrow. Don't don't get panicky and say, oh, I've eaten two bites. I'm kind of full. I think I'm just going to save it and put it in the refrigerator. They didn't have no refrigerator. They had no way to preserve. God said, your provision is for today. Eat it all. But so many times our human nature is that we want this sense of security. We want to be able to take and say, just in case God doesn't come come through for us tomorrow, we'll just save enough so that we'll have a little bit tomorrow so we don't starve. God says, no, you have to learn to live by faith. You must live by faith daily. And just as food becomes a part of your body, so the word of God strengthens your inner person. So when you are to and I are to partake of the word of God, our manna, to partake what God has for us in our reading of through the word of God, we are to take that in, we're to read it, we're to then meditate on it, chew on it, get the full flavor, understanding, and obey it. 
You got to swallow it. You got to obey it. You got to take it all in that God has for you. And just as the Jews could not live on yesterday's manna, you and I cannot live on what God provided for us yesterday and think that's going to last us over the, next, the rest of the week. Oh, I came to church on Sunday. I filled it up. I'm, oh, I'm, just, I'm just so full of the word of God and fellowship and worship. Oh, it was great. And think you're going to last the rest of the week. No, you're going to starve. It's a daily partake of what God has through his word. And to take it in and to digest it and obey it. And why? Because each day that God provides so faithfully to you and comes and meets with you, he will give you what you need for the facing of the battles and the burdens that you will face that day. Oh, how many times it is so important that we start in the morning with our Lord, receiving what he has, partaking of what he has, how sweet it is, how he is providing for us to be able to deal with the battles, the spiritual battles, and the heavy burdens that can come upon you through the day. And how important it is to partake and, and eat through. It didn't say that they took the Omar and they gobbled it all up. They collected it. They partake of it. And to me, it could have stretched all day. It was supposed to, it just, none was supposed to be uh, any left over uh, by the next morning. It was supposed to be partaked of completely that, the day, the same day they collected it. And verse 20, but notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses. I stop right there. First of all, what do you mean they didn't heed Moses? Again, God used Moses to communicate truth. But they forget that it's not Moses' uh, wisdom here. It's God's wisdom. He's just an instrument. He's just a talking. God's just using him to, to communicate truth to the people. But again, notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses. But some of them, some, there's always some it seems like, some of them left part of it until morning and in, it bred worms and stank. Now you can hear the conversations in the tent, can't you? Honey, I told you, didn't I not tell you that God, Moses, God told Moses and Moses told us we're supposed to eat everything all at the same time here? Why are you fearful and think you need to put it away in, in a little cubby and save it for tomorrow? And now it's stinking here and there's worms in it. I told you we had to trust what God was saying through Moses. And Moses was angry with them. So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need. And when the sun became hot, it melted. So it wasn't going to last. They had to go out early in the morning to collect this. They couldn't wait until the evening time when they prefer only in the evening time moments. They had to do the work early in the morning to collect and to partake of it through the day to make sure it's eaten up before it becomes filled with worms and stink. And it's true. If you don't partake of the word of God, typically by the end of the day, you're probably stinking. Or at least by the next day, if you didn't keep partaking in of what God has provided for you for the word of God, it's eventually you're going to start, there's going to start being some 
things in your life called worms that are not looking pretty, and you're going to be starting to stink. And everyone's going to start, can see it and, and start smelling it in your life. And know that you're probably not in the word of God. You're not being, not being fed. And so how important it is we, we're in the word of God each and every day. Then we find in verse 22, And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Like, Moses, this is really incredible. We had double the portion outside. We walked out. It was heaping up everywhere. Now, do the calculations. I didn't do the calculations. Some of you are mathematicians. And if you just say six, uh, six pints every day, Six pints, God made sure that each person had enough for six pints. Over for two million plus people. Do the math. What happens if it was seven quarts? Do the math for two million. And then on the sixth day, they doubled that? So if it's six pints, that's 12 pints per person times two million plus people? Oh, my man. God is miraculously providing. And you forget the numbers and you forget the, the, the volume or what miraculous thing God can do. Uh, in a time like this. But they see on that sixth day that they felt like they needed to come and tell the rulers, Moses and Aaron, uh, the, the rulers of the congregation, to come tell Moses and Aaron that uh, uh, you won't believe, look at how much we've collected here on the sixth day. Verse 23, And then he said to them, This is what the Lord had said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest. Note in your Bible, this is the first place we see the reference to the Sabbath is right here. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil and lay up for yourself all that remains to keep to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till morning as Moses commanded and it did not stink nor were there any worms in it. Now again, a miraculous thing here. The first six days, they were obedient. It worked like a charm. Food was just sweet as can be. This is great. It's tasty. This is awesome. And they ate it all. And they, they, were, they, were, they were content. It was just, they met their need. And then God miraculously on the sixth day doubled that portion. And any leftover that went on to the seventh day did not stink. It did not have worms. Why? Because they did it God's way. Verse 25, and then Moses said, eat that, eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will, will not find it in the field. Six, day, six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. Again, God made it very clear. There was no question, and they communicated through Moses as well to tell him there's no question this is going to happen. Now, if you go back and think about this. Each day God provided the bread for 40 years in the wilderness, as we will see at the end of the verse, uh, chapter. But the quail, on the other hand, was only referenced twice in the scriptures, in the, here in chapter 16 and later on, and it's only twice that we see that they used quail to provide for the people. Maybe is it because God, they started using their, their, their livestock and, and as the livestock was going along, they were using that as their food? I'm not sure, but it was only referenced twice. But the manna was provided daily. 
And it was a very specific way because God was going to essentially teach them to honor the Sabbath day and honor the Sabbath, but not by providing the bread from heaven on that seventh day, but to trust God that he's going to provide enough even to last the next day when he says you need to rest. Verse 27, now... It happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. There's some, there they go, some again. And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, exclamation point, see, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. But again, God gave instructions, very clear instructions. This is what you do, but there are some. They have to learn by experience versus just, just trusting by faith the word of God. They have to go do it themselves, and that is how they're going to learn, and it's going to hurt. But it never affects just you. It affects everyone around you when you don't do it God's way. But despite that, certainly, sure enough, people went out there, and they were looking, and then God was not happy. Neither was Moses, because Moses was responsible for the people. Uh, of the fact, and so God came to Moses and said, hey, what is going on here with your people? Verse 31, and the house of Israel called its name manna, and it was like white uh, corn, uh, corn in there. Ooh, just lost the word here. Uh, you know, the seed, white seed. Coronated. Wait a minute here, corn. This is where the tongue tie here. Let's just keep going here. So white seed and a taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Then Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it to, keep, to be kept for your generation, that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness and when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a pot. And put an omer of manna in it and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. And as the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel ate manna forty years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And then verse 36, now an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. Well, we see here, yes, manna. What is it? It's a wafer. It's brought together. They baked it. They boiled it. They brought it together, and it was made with honey. It was just sweet to taste. It was sweet to partake of. And it was so an amazing moment here of taking this white coriander seed and bring it in a sweetness to bring it, he, God gives instructions to Moses to put it in a pot. And when he put it, to take it into this pot, they were to put it in there, just an over full of it, and they're going to lay it up for the generations to come to know what God has provided and what it looked like. And it's referred to here in verse 34, the testimony or the Ark of the Covenant. 
The Ark of the Covenant was based in the tabernacle when they built the tabernacle that we will see as we continue through the scriptures. And in the tabernacle, this Ark of the Covenant was placed in the Holy of Holies. Now, if you remember, there were three items that were placed in the Ark of the Covenant to be stored in that box. One of them was that pot of manna. You remember the other two. The stone tablets, the law. And then what? Aaron's staff that budded. Those three items were placed in that. Now, wouldn't that be the most incredible archaeology find if they found the Ark of the Covenant? Can you imagine? I wouldn't want to, I think I heard it one time. I wouldn't be the one, I wouldn't want to be the one to open up the Ark of the Covenant for sure. But once it's open and everything seems clear, I'd like to go take a look and see what happens here. And of course, Scripture makes it so clear that an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. That made it clear, doesn't it? But again, it doesn't matter of the amount. It, it was a perfect amount to meet the need of the people. And God is always perfect in what he provides. Now, you and I may not think that was enough. I don't think I make enough money. I don't think my house is big enough. I don't think I have a, a good enough job. I don't think I, I like the, the weather's not good enough here. It goes on and on and on how we can get so focused on the, the, what, what we don't have and what other people have versus what God has graciously provided to us to provide our, our, our very needs. May we be content filled with joy and peace that God fills us because he's provided and we rejoice and we sing uh, to our Lord and praise him for what he has, has done. And he does this for 40 years of, of providing for his people until he gets to what? To the border of the land of Canaan. And at that point, God says, I have done my part here. Now I'm taking you into the promised land where it's filled with milk and honey. It's, it's a beautiful place. Tremendous of what will be provided. The bread from heaven, a powerful picture of Jesus Christ himself after feeding the 5,000, if you remember. Jesus had this discussion with the people about keeping and feeding in, in, in this miraculous way and his power of being able to feed all of these people in, in, in the desert there that was following him. And Jesus said to, to, to them there in Israel, uh, how he was providing the manna in the wilderness. And Jesus kind of replies in that conversation that people were asking about him. And we see it in John chapter 6, verse 32 and 33. It says, For surely I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he, Jesus Christ, who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So you, my brothers and sisters, our bread from heaven is bread of God. It is Jesus Christ. If you haven't partaked of him, if you haven't accepted him into your life and been born again, I pray today's the day of salvation for you. 